Welcome to ASM Connected, the podcast brought to you by ASM Technologies. Across the series, we look at emerging trends and tech within the industry, meeting key speakers, futurists and business leaders from across the globe. In this episode, ASM Technologies' Ian Tomkinson and Stephen Dale meet Kate Trotter, the founder and head of trends at Insider Trends. As a top 100 global retail influencer, advisor and strategist, Kate advises companies such as Chanel, Sky, Nike and Unilever on emerging trends in retail. Kate talks through how the retail industry has transformed over the last year and the changes expected in the years to come. How technology is changing the model of retail, transforming logistics and the use of retail spaces, and even delivering virtual reality shopping. All of that to come on ASM Connected. So welcome back to ASM Connected Series 2. I'm Stephen Dale and I'm joined by my colleague, as normal, Ian Tomkinson. And today we have the pleasure of the company of our guest, Kate Trotter. Welcome, Kate. Hi there. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm really interested in the topic today and the focus on retail. I actually grew up in the retail industry. I spent about six months at one point as a child living out the back of a sweet shop. So heaven. Very close topic <laughs> to my heart. And I know Ian always likes seeing the technology we've provided as he goes into various shops. Is that right? Yeah. I, I My career started off in my early 20s and uh, I worked on some really interesting retail projects. In those days, banks were retailers to a certain degree in store sort of uh, check readers, check cards and, and all those kind of old technologies and obviously seen that evolve over the years. So yeah, it's fascinating and I, I still love wandering around a store looking at the different types of technologies and the different things that people are doing to, uh, to try and get money out of our pockets really. So, Kate, we've got a bit of a plan just to keep us on track. Obviously, the theme of our podcast is around emerging technology and innovation. But as we've said today, we're really focusing on the retail sector. And we always like to touch on a bit of agility as well. And there's no sector that's been affected quite as much and had to bring that agility to the table. So really interested to hear about that. That is my comfort zone. So hopefully I can say something worthwhile about this. This is what I think about and talk about a lot. So hopefully I will impress you guys. Let's see. Right. I'm sure you will. Yeah, no, sounds promising. And just before we get into that retail and the technology, I've been watching quite a bit of your talks online and sort of really impressed with your energy, your confidence and getting that right balance of humour. So I just figured that we'd ask for your advice. There's a lot of people that we work with that are trying to improve their presentation skills, maybe plucking up the courage to do some public speaking. Have you got any tips for anybody on that subject? Oh, yeah, I could. we could spend the whole podcast talking about this, of course, but um, possibly just getting started is the best way to do it. So I actually cut my teeth at the British Library doing sessions for like 50 people at a time and just got better, a bit more comfortable through doing it. Possibly you're better than you think you are. I'm actually still quite impressed that people hire me. (laughs) So um, maybe I'm my own worst critic and maybe I shouldn't say this actually, but I am sometimes surprised that people book me as often as they do and that I get to open and close conferences at different places. So just let the world decide how good you are. If you communicate the content, if you communicate something that you think is interesting, then you can let other people decide whether to book you or not. And something else that I've actually not ever heard people say, but something that I think is really important, 
is to think about speaking in terms of muscle memory. Of course, muscle memory is the reason why once you have learned to ride a bike, why you never forget, right? And I think one of the most important things in learning how to speak well is just to say your speech out loud a good few times before you actually give it, because then you're literally training your mouth and your tongue to say the words (laughs) in a particular order. And obviously it doesn't come out exactly that way on stage, but you don't forget as much as you think you will. You're basically just training your body to know what you want to say inside out. So that is something I've learned that, yeah, I haven't heard many people say that's hopefully useful. Yeah, that's a, that's a great trick. And obviously, um, know your subject. That's always going to make you feel a bit more comfortable talking out loud about it. Totally. Yeah. So I think I always try to be a carrier of the message. I guess there's different presenters, but there are some people who think it's all about them and the way they are on stage. But actually, if you just think you talk about something that interests you, talk about something that you would like to hear and see yourself as the carrier of the message, like no one cares about you, they care about the content, right? (laughs) That might make it a bit easier. Yeah, I I was once told if you can't tell a story simply, then you don't know it well enough yourself. Mm. And I think uh, keeping something quite simple is interesting. And uh, just adding on to that, you know, you mentioned, obviously, you start off speaking to 50 people at a time roughly do you prefer a bigger audience or do you prefer a sort of smaller sort of intimate audience um yeah maybe a smaller audience is better but I don't think it matters really I end up putting the same amount of time into each of my sessions so it doesn't really matter and uh, I suppose just moving on into I suppose your specialist subject in retail obviously the last 18 months of disrupted the retail sector massively beyond recognition and we've experienced really strange things from queuing to get on a B&Q website <laughs> to having our, our picture taken at the door by mass drivers which is uh, yeah interesting mm. I'm quite interested to find out what has retail learned from this and how well has it adapted yeah well I've been so impressed at how quickly retailers have adapted even things that might seem simple like putting up screens and things like they mobilized their forces incredibly quickly and did adapt, did put in a huge number of changes very, very quickly. So that was really impressive, actually. Sometimes I'm not quite sure that retailers are acting quickly enough, but that really showed me that they can. So that was impressive to see. Um, And in terms of what retailers have learned, I think it's possibly that new innovations pay. So there was some things that we've been talking about, such as Hero and Bamboos, or I can explain what those are in a minute. But those are things that we were talking about before the pandemic. Basically, the pandemic forced retailers to adopt those new approaches. Once they did, they saw them have fantastic results for them, and that they're going to keep those. So yeah, I think retailers were forced to innovate, forced to try something new, and they've seen that pay. Do you know about Hero? I, I don't know. Please feel free to share. Okay. So yeah, um, Hero is one of a handful of businesses that essentially connect the website and the store. So from a customer perspective, you might be on a website browsing around a product. You might have a few questions and a little chat box appears. But instead of being one of those frustrating chatbots, I've never actually had a good experience with a chatbot, but um, instead of it being one of those automated interfaces, it can actually connect you with a human in the store. So 
you can either live chat or maybe video chat, like live stream essentially with someone in the store who can answer all your questions. They can maybe show you a close up of the product that you're interested in to answer all those final questions before you buy. And I think Hero have said that they've seen conversion rates increase by 10 times through that. I think spend has increased by something like 40%. And people are three times more likely to visit the store ultimately. So it just improves the digital experience across the board. It means that if the store staff are busy serving customers, they don't have to offer their services to the online customers. But if they're not busy, they can better support the online experience. So it's just a really, really simple innovation that has done fantastically well for retailers. So I'm sure that they're going to keep that. And another example, I mean, I'm sure everyone's been talking a lot about live streaming, but there's a company called Shellen Company in Sweden. They're an electronics retailer. Again, because of the pandemic, they got their staff to start live streaming through Bamboozer who offer these shoppable feeds. So you can be watching someone talk about a product, but you can actually find out more information about that product and buy all within the feed. And um, Shell and Company found that they would, in one 45-minute live stream, they would sell as much stuff as they would from one of their small stores in a two-week period. So with numbers like that, there's no way that people are just going to go back to the old way of retailing, right? They've been forced to experiment, but they've also seen the great results these innovations can achieve. That's interesting, that one, because um, this isn't like QVC meets the modern day platform. It's more of the social influencer aspect, isn't it? From what I've heard you say before on that live streaming, where actors are the new workers in the shops perhaps. Mm, Totally. So yeah, I've been thinking that this is going to somewhat change the requirements for staff or retailers aren't always going to be looking for the same people when they hire staff. Maybe some staff will still be needed to transact, but they will need some people who are totally comfortable and engaging on camera to represent the brand really well. It's quite interesting to think about how those requirements will change. That's fascinating. How big a part of technology innovation is it playing in the transformation happening in the industry uh, and what other types of innovation are there oh so i would say it's pretty much the biggest driver of change within retail so there are obviously some consumer trends so obviously a lot of people talking about inclusivity gender neutrality stuff like that but I think some of the most widespread changes and things that retailers need to be aware of are all being driven by tech. And you could perhaps even say that a lot of these consumer trends are ultimately being driven by tech and people being better connected. So I spend a lot of time talking about tech, which is why I hope I can share something interesting to you. But um, when we talk about types of innovation, I think we tend to split it in terms of customer-facing innovation and tech behind the scenes. Different parts of a business are going to be interested in different things, but um, there are benefits to be had whichever way you look. Pretty much any well-applied technology will 
bring benefits to a business if applied at the right time. I remember doing a presentation out in um, Budapest to a client about 10 years ago, Steve, would it be? Probably about how RFID would play out in the retail sector in, in terms of that. And you do hear stories and obviously we're involved with a lot of innovative technologies and uh, sometimes we're probably a little bit too ahead of ourselves and I suppose the retailers aren't ready for it yet. And we've actually just learned of one project that I think I worked on about 15 years ago that's just actually been signed off by a large corporation and uh, sometimes I think is the case that they're not ready for it yet or is it more perhaps the consumers aren't ready for it um it's a couple of things so obviously the retailer needs to be interested needs to see the value it takes time to change consumer behavior definitely But the other thing is to think about the context, the infrastructure around a particular innovation. So I don't know, I went for a walk the other day and saw that Google Maps now have an augmented reality function in it. So you can like see where a landmark is in AR within the Google Maps. I totally understand what you're saying, because that was something I spotted, I think, 14 years ago. (laughs) It was one of the first new ideas that I saw when I actually started out and became a trend scout. I thought it was amazing. And it was really interesting 14 years later to see it actually in my phone just being presented to me. But the thing that we have now that we didn't have 14 years ago is 5G. And 14 years ago, we didn't have cheap smartphones that can that have all the processing power needed to offer this well. Someone very smart had the idea 14, 15 years ago, but it's only now that the surrounding tech or the surrounding context can really support something like that working well. It's not just the idea. You have to think about what else is needed to make something, yeah, not really annoying to use right (laughs) i've seen a parallel with that kate when people talk about car technology when they design the car the road infrastructure wasn't there the legal aspects to cover the risks weren't there but you've not got to let that stand in the way of innovation right somebody's got to keep designing these things even if they don't fit and then wait for everything else to catch up so i guess we've started to see that in the in the retail sector now which is really, really exciting. Mm. Uh, I think from my point of view, I just feel really grateful to be working in technology because from what you've said, you know, technology is driving all these changes and transformations. So yeah, I I find it really, really fortunate for us to work in this sector. Mm. So I think, Kate, I wanted to ask you about as well that I'm really interested in. We all talk about customer experience and the customer journey. And I know in the everything as a service sector that we talk about a lot in tech, people have started to say that you've got 30 days to win over a customer with that first month subscription. And that's what's really important. How long do you get in the retail sector to capture and win a client? The answer to this depends on the sector, right? So the length of time or the number of touches that you need to impress and convert someone who wants to buy a car is totally different to someone who is a grocery shopper, right? Or buying from a grocery brand. It might not be about time to win over someone. It might be about, in retail, it might be more about being present where someone is. So making sure that if someone thinks about a product that you might sell while they're on the bus, (laughs) that there's a way of them actually looking up that product on your website so they don't have to wait till they go to a store to find that out. 
yeah, or just making sure that your social media is engaging and also can sell to people. So I guess we come back to omni-channel presence, right? But we know that the more present you can be, the easier it is for people to look you up, to be engaged with what you offer and to buy. That's probably the most important thing. And uh, interesting brands are improving their presence. And the technology behind that, Kate, is that sort of the ability to collect that data of, you know, what we've been looking at, where we're traveling, that sort of data capture element of the technology. Is that what's behind that personal experience and the the sort of retail experience following us around? A lot of people complain, don't they, about being tracked, but then that helps the preferences be relevant to you. Mm. Is that the technology that's driving that omni-channel approach? Um There's a couple of things. I think it can be as simple as providing content alongside the standard e-commerce interface. So there are brands like Matches that have done fantastically well out of understanding that just like the store needs to entertain and sell, so do digital channels. So they've turned their app and their website into almost a magazine that their aim is to get as many of their customers visiting their content daily as possible. And they're actually doing very well on that. So by creating a space that people want to come back to, they end up selling more. So yeah, it doesn't all have to be about the data capture, but obviously the data is hugely important. And I would say, I think why customers are so switched off about this is because a lot of companies aren't using their data to serve them. I don't know about you guys, but when whenever I shop online or whenever I visit a store, it doesn't feel like anything is personalized. I always think about the fact that I have massive feet <laughs> and I can never find shoes to fit me. But I would love it if I could tell a retailer, I have massive feet. Can you please help me find nice looking professional shoes? I would love a brand to help me solve that problem, but no one is offering to help do that. So I I don't know. I I keep looking for brands who actually invite customers to share information and problems with them rather than just tracking what they're doing. Absolutely. Because I know that kind of um, personalized experience is what we all sort of are looking for. And uh, instead, you get those strange things following you around on Google that are completely irrelevant because you accidentally clicked on something. So, uh, so yeah, no, uh, it it is, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, work to to be done there, I believe. Mm. I I suppose um, one of the main questions that I wanted to ask you is uh, a lot of our um, partners and clients are obviously heavily engaged with the large retailers and having conversations with them daily. A lot of those people are supplying the technologies, the infrastructure, both local and global. I suppose the main question I wanted to ask was what conversations, if I'm an IT company, IT sales technologists, what conversations should they be having with their customers in terms of innovative technology for the next sort of five to 10 years? Ooh, okay. So big things we could talk about here. So one is maybe seeking out more flexible technology in in the physical space, which means that brands can perhaps pop up and pop down really quickly. I think the future of physical retail is more about flexible spaces, hybrid ways of doing business rather than always having large fixed spaces. Are you familiar with a company called Souk? I'm not, no. They are one to check out. They have, 
I think we're in a, about a month's time, they're going to have maybe seven spaces open in various parts of the UK. I always think of them as the USB store. So it's more like a space that other brands can move into and out of really, really quickly. And what makes the Souk space different is that they have large video screens, typically on three walls of the spaces that they rent out. And so what that means is that a brand very quickly can make the space feel like their own, even if they're only going to rent that space for an hour. So this is giving brands more flexibility. You can open up a space for an hour, sell to customers over their lunch hour, and then pop down and move to another space the next day. Also, what is great about Souk Spaces is that they have lots of data capturing tech in there. So they um, are able to see how many people walk into the space, what the people look at. And this gives all the brands the same level of information from their store that they're used to from their website. And I'm actually always quite surprised that even now, not every brand has that in their physical space. So these brands who are popping up through Souk are actually able to get more data than some multi-million pound businesses that are household names in this country. So yeah, so I think flexible tech or tech-driven flexible spaces possibly is one big thing. Another that we've touched on is what everyone's been talking about for years, which is this 360 degree view of the customer. We're all used to that phrase, but there is a lot more, (laughs) I think, that businesses can do to really execute that well. And we're just starting to see this in physical stores, really. So again, Matches is a brand that's doing this really well. They're working with a company called Proximity Insight. So when you arrive at the physical matches space, you can check in. And that means that everything that matches know about you, everything you've browsed and bought from matches online up until that point can be beamed or shared with the staff in the store. So they can start to personalize the experience based on the online behavior. And we're we're seeing a few more things like this now, but I really think that that is the future of retail is making yourself known to a physical store and having not only the staff tailor their conversations according to what they know, but even tailoring video screens, video screen content to what the store knows about the customer. If I checked into a shop, it could suddenly show me what all the shoes for big-footed women are that they have in stock, right? That would be amazing. I would love that. And that would make the store so much more relevant and exciting to me. And then, of course, what these brands should be doing is capturing what the customer looks at in the store, what they might take into a fitting room, but then reject so they can personalize the online content. So everything is always further optimized and personalized according to the last interaction that the brand has had, regardless of where it is. So there's more work to be done there. Do you agree or do you think? Yeah, um, you know, I think, uh, again, we we were having this sort of conversation about 10 years ago. And uh, again, at the time, the idea was that 
RFID would, uh, oddly, as I mentioned before, potentially have uh, either your phone or, or an RFID chip sewn into the jeans that you're wearing if you walk past a store and um, recognising that brand that you've already bought, it would put on any offers or any sales promoting that personalised sort of information to those displays, screens, pushing it out to your phone. So I do think that, again, that's been talked about quite a lot. But in terms of actually the bigger retailers, the chains have not seen any doing it. But uh, obviously there are people starting to do that out there, which was uh, which mm. you've kindly shared. What I like about the way you've described that is sort of people see the almost the threat of online and digital as the death of the physical store. But what the way you've put it across there is a much more optimistic view mm. where instead of a threat, it's actually going to enhance the experience of the store if they if they start connecting those dots rather than almost competing against each other yeah so yeah I, I love the optimism in that view yeah yeah and the the other thing that people miss sometimes or people are still concerned about is whether digital takes customers away from the store and there's a lot of data to say that that is not true if We know that if you offer a better experience, either in the store or through digital or ideally both, that just brings more customers to the brand overall. So if you have a better digital experience, that will make people like the brand more. So they're way more likely to visit the shop and vice versa. So brands shouldn't worry about making one channel really good because it's just going to benefit everything the brand does. And it's interesting that we're talking about, yeah, things that were said 10 years ago and are now hopefully about to enter the mainstream. But if you want to talk about um, what might happen in the next 10 years, something I'm quite excited about is tech that helps customers interact with brands and buy in sophisticated ways outside of the store. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that you were talking about RFID chipped products because we're seeing a couple of brands start to think of the product being the center of their ecosystem. I think most brands still think that the store is the center of their ecosystem, but some brands are starting to chip the product and build loyalty schemes or engagement schemes rather around how often a product is worn or where a chipped bike is ridden, which types of places it's ridden to. And the more a bike is ridden, the more points a customer might get, which can be exchanged for really interesting in-store events or experiences in some of these virtual worlds that are now being set up. So I think brands are just starting to explore that, but I'm really quite excited about the opportunities there. And there's some really interesting stuff happening around, um, well, not just augmented reality, but virtual fittings. So customers being able to scan their bodies using their mobile phones that can be then sent to a product manufacturer who can make the perfect genes for someone. They can show what the genes will look like on through augmented reality. And at that point, you do start to wonder what the role of the store is. If someone can get the perfect product made for them that is represented brilliantly on their bodies or without having to travel to a store, then the future of stores starts to get quite interesting or it starts to be challenged. A bit. Interesting how you've used the word there, Kate. We've talked about shops and then stores. Yeah. I'm wondering showrooms is the next word. Yeah, sorry. I'm um 
I try to call them spaces, actually, because obviously the store doesn't need to store products anymore. So um, we should stop using the word store, start using the word space, and hopefully that will free up people's minds a bit to think, what, what do they want to put in this space? And then the whole supply chain technology aspect comes in at the background, doesn't it? Like you say, they're not storing products. So Mm. the technology involved in the supply chain in the background is is immense and and evolving at a pace as well. Well, yeah, we've got the likes of Amazon sort of setting the bar for all consumers, haven't we? With the, you know, uh, I I went to get something for one of my daughters the other day and uh, just went on. And before I went to work at half seven in the morning, it was like, you can have it today. And I was like, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, yeah, the whole logistics piece is quite interesting. And we're seeing there's a really interesting business called Shop Fulfill out in America where they are buying up failing malls, but they're reopening them partly as a mall, but partly as a fulfillment space because they've realized that there's a whole load of online brands who want to come offline, but really they're challenged to doing this well is infrastructure. So they want an easy way to let customers actually discover and view the product, which is why Shop Fulfill is renting out space in customer-facing stores in these malls. But also as part of the package, these brands get to store some of their product in the back-end logistics space, which means that they can get instant next-day delivery throughout a certain region. So, yeah, really Shop Fulfill is saying that brands can have the best of both really quickly. They can get that discovery and that fulfillment. And I find it fascinating that it's just one small tweak that's the difference between a failing space and the space of the future. And there's no reason why malls you know, malls that are operating right now can't make that simple tweak themselves. Mm. Yeah, interesting. No, and uh, that is um, a game changer for, for the industry, isn't it? Because I, I know it's that we can all comment on the consumer experience because we're all consumers at some point. And uh, I know when, um, you know, uh, if I go out shopping with my wife and my daughters, it's part of that experience, isn't it, at the end of the day? Some people have it as a hobby. It's not exactly my favourite thing. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's more about that experience and some people don't want to lose that. I guess, again, it depends on the category, but there's, I've been into stores and spaces and discovered certain products. There's this amazing lighting system that I now own that I actually discovered in a space, but I didn't buy it there. And then I bought it off the internet because I didn't want to carry it home. I knew I wanted to buy it, but I had to rely on a different retailer because the space where I discovered it didn't offer delivery to my house. (laughs) I found that quite interesting, actually. So again, we come back to giving customers choice, right? Letting them shop exactly how they want to. Yeah, it's an interesting one how the store's faces get compensated for that, because I did exactly the same. I went into a, a shop to try out the vacuum cleaners you know, they've got a pile of dirt there and you can try them all out and then went home and bought it cheaper online direct from the manufacturer. So mm. it's a wonder how the shop pays the rent if everybody's doing that. But that's where this change is being driven, isn't it? They have to find a new way of um, making that work. Mm. Yeah, well, we're seeing we're seeing more spaces like flip the business model and start to charge brands for being stocked rather than taking a cut of sales that I think is quite interesting yeah okay a question that I wanted to ask is uh, and very topical to that is are you a 
try before you buy advocate or buy and return? <laughs> uh, personally, I, I actually, I'm terrible. I um, tend to buy things and then I only realize whether I actually like them or not after I've owned them for a little while. And I'm also terrible at returning things. So I would almost buy and take to charity shop. That's my <laughs> process, sadly. Um, yeah, so I do buy a fair bit online and I just think I'm never, if I don't like this, I'm never going to return it, but I just buy it with that in mind. So buying cross fingers maybe is how I shop. Right, okay, yeah. I've done a bit of that myself. Yeah, no, I am terrible at returning stuff as well. Again, a, another quick question. Um, what's your favourite tech gadget? Oh, um so I've just bought an Oculus, an Oculus Quest, oh, wow. which has been quite fun. So I'm looking forward to visiting some or attending some VR gigs in that. I think that that would be quite fun. Um, looking forward to experiencing the virtual shop or the virtual space of the future. I don't think it looks like a shop, <laughs> actually. But yeah, it's it's amazing how how much an emotional reaction VR gets. I don't know if you've tried the Plank experience. I haven't, but what I have seen um, is quite probably over the last nine months, maybe 12 months, a big upturn in uh, corporate customers wanting VR, people uh, setting up virtual meeting rooms, doing the whole VR experience engineering companies uh, collaborating on projects for using VR. Mm. You know, it's been talked about for 10 years, hasn't it? VR, and we are now really starting in the last 18 months, really starting to see it mm. present. And I know um, classrooms is where it's starting to become quite, in terms of, you know, I suppose if you're studying rocks or volcanoes you can literally take the student into the volcano and let them see what it's like rather than just on a two-dimensional screen mm, yeah it's it's brilliant so yeah hopefully brands can be quite imaginative and totally rethink their in-person experience i'm using this <laughs> lightly but um to really think rethink that immersive experience and to ask whether does a store really need to look like a store? Um, and the other thing we've just started doing is controlling our house using spells, <laughs> using really rubbish spells through, I can't say her name, but through our Amazon smart device. If I say her name, she will go off. We're increasingly saying ridiculous things to our lights to get them to turn on and off. And that is uh, very entertaining. Yes, yes. Uh, I know we, we had um, one of those for, for Christmas a couple of years ago and uh, we had some great fun asking for uh, taxi journeys in various different languages and countries. And it was, uh, yeah, it was great sport <laughs> on Christmas afternoon. There we go. Um, mm. But yeah, no, that, that VR, um, whole VR experience. And I believe that um, some of the big players like Apple are bringing out a version in the next sort of 12 to 18 months. So again, with their reputation for changing how we do things, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. Mm, totally, yeah. So that's the area that I'm most interested in at the moment. Some great answers, Kate. So much um, for us to take away from this, not least the sort of brands and the names and the people that are out there innovating at the moment. Certainly given me some homework to take away and, and look into it a little bit further. But I think we all agree that 
technology and innovation is is changing and, and enhancing our experience rapidly and it looks like it's set to do so over the coming years so it, it's been fantastic to have you on the podcast um giving us your expertise and yeah i've taken a lot from it yeah it's been a really really um thoughtful sort of journey that we've just been through in terms of the i suppose the content i've learned something which is brilliant I'm going to go away and say do some homework in some of those uh, technologies and business that you've been talking about. So that's been fascinating for me. I have one last question, which I, I, I ask everybody, which uh, <laughs> is most people dread. But um, I'm a huge football fan, and uh, I know a lot of our customers are massively sporty. Some aren't, and their answers are, are varied and, and challenging. I'm, I'm after the English football Premier League top four predictions. Just a Ooh. finger in the air. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are that you are totally asking the wrong person <laughs> i did i watched the euro final so i dabble in football but in the worst way so my family has a league and i'm in my work fantasy football league but i don't actually know anything about football can i give you four football observations let's see if i can get oh, to yeah, four absolutely. Uh, so one salah is a footballer <laughs> Um, he, my boss told me to put him on my fantasy league and, uh, he has definitely done the best. I learned about Loris this year. So this goalie, is he from Spurs? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I read about him, but now I forget all the impressive things about him, but, um, he is an impressive footballer. Who else? Oh yeah. I keep getting Kane and Keane mixed up (laughs) and I'm 12th in the league. Well, there's 15 people in my company league and I'm 12th. I don't think Harry Kane would be too pleased to realise that you're getting mixed up with Roy Keane. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it's been fantastic speaking to you. You've been a great guest. Um, Steve, have you got anything else to add? No, really, really enjoyed it, Kate. Uh, I'll keep a close eye on, on what you're talking about in the future. Nice one. Well, thanks. There's loads more we could have talked about. If anyone else wants to get other tips um, or examples, LinkedIn is probably the best place for people to look me up. So I'd be very happy to have a chat with anyone who would like to after this. Great. Thanks very much for your time, Kate. Um, It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of ASM Connected, the podcast from ASM Technologies with guest Kate Trotter. If you want to find out more about the team at ASM Technologies or about anything discussed in the podcasts, visit asmtech.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe now and never miss an update. Thanks for listening to ASM Connected.